due to a recent incident involving Phyllis, a man, a map, and his penis. I think you know what I'm referring to. Michael has authorized me to form an emergency anti-flashing task force. Question. Won't that interfere with your other task forces? Answer. No, because this is being given priority one. This is a petition for the business park to upgrade the security cameras as well as install two floodlights in the parking lot. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Won't that just shed more light on the penises? But that is a risk we have to take. Pam, you can draw, kind of. Why don't you work with Phallus on drawing a picture of the exposer that I can post around the community? Phallus? Phyllis, sorry. I've got penises on the brain. Back to work, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time to get up out of your seats and put your hands together. It's time to rock and to roll. This is the Amazingly Pop Show! Recently arrived from the dark side of the moon, Jay Hat, and he who could quite possibly conquer the world if only he could get out of bed in the morning, Jack. Welcome back to the Amazingly Pulp Show. This is episode seven. Uh, we got a great show today. Um, we will be interviewing the guys from Unshaven Comics. Uh, they're straight out of Chicago, and they put out the book uh, Disposable Razors. Uh, but I'll let them talk about that here in a few. Um, let everyone know Jazzy should be sh showing up shortly. He's de de decided to take a sabbatical, so I am going solo. So, um, uh, it's the nervousness. <laughs> um, so let's get into it. Let's give these guys a call and uh, see where they're at. How about that? I'll keep talking while I'm looking for their number. And we are doing this low-key uh, today, folks. Um, fortunately, all your donations are appreciated, but we haven't been able to put them to good use yet. Uh, and getting a good system, but sometime in the future, maybe we will. Uh, hope you guys enjoy how everything's been going so far. And um, here we go. Let's give them a call. Hello, Mark. Hey, what's going? <laughs> what's going on, guys? Oh, we're just hanging. We're we're on live on the Amazingly Pulp show today. Um, calling in to check on you guys. What's going on? Oh, not too much. We're uh, sitting here in the unshaven comic layer. Uh, hopefully, you guys can hear us uh, nice and clear. Also known as Mark's basement. Yeah, Mark's basement. <laughs> we're we're currently huffing the fumes of my uh, newly finished wood floors. So if we uh, start tripping out on you, uh, hey, what's the walls here, and I can still smell. Oh, I know. I am hard hard here. <laughs> Well, folks at home, we'd like to welcome to the show Matt Wright, Kyle Nepper, and Mark Fishman of Unshaven Comics to the show. Welcome, guys. Uh, and, and the uh, purple elephant in the room. Um, well, what do you think? You guys want to jump right into it? Let's do it, man. Yeah. Okay, can you guys hear us okay on your end? Yeah, uh, it's not too bad. You break it up here and there, but I mean, for the most part, we can understand it. Yeah, we're, we're pretty low-key here at the Amazingly Pulp Show. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well... Uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourself and Unshaven Comics and uh, how you guys first got into comics? Okay, well, I, mean, I guess 
I mean, first of all, we've all been friends since uh, Battle of 96. God, I've known your church that long. Yeah. Uh, and I think... Um, three. We started high school in 96. God, 93. Okay, so we're even older than we thought. Um, so I guess Kyle and Matt were both into comics more than me. But then, as you know, you, you end up talking to your friends and then you end up getting their hobbies. And probably by eighth grade, I think we were all pretty avid comic book readers. This would actually explain your avid collection of Nerf guns, considering Kyle's birthday parties used to be Nerf Wars all over his entire house. Yeah. Which, bless your parents for allowing that. Yeah. But yeah, in comic fans, and I badly like to joke that the evolution was kind of all the same. Wow, like comics to, you know what, one day we should, I bet we could make our own comics too. You know what, let's, let's go ahead and try to make our own comics. Yeah, I mean, we started... Um, I guess very humbly, I mean, we all went to college um, to train, I guess, to find those skills that we were looking for. Matt and I each went to art school. Kyle uh, majored in English. And uh, shortly after we graduated college, uh, completely by luck, one of our high school friends, her mother's a publisher, and she was looking for a company to uh, put together a graphic novel uh, for an idea they had. So I kind of fell on top of, you know, over myself on the Facebook, and I was, you know, begging and pleading with uh, our friend to have her mother contact us, and oh, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. And uh, we took a meeting in 2006, uh, signed a contract, and we uh, released our first book in the early part of 2008. Yeah, that was a fun process. Learned a lot of stuff, got your teeth on. What was it? Uh, originally, it was supposed to be like 100 and something pages, and then it was 96. Then it was 68. Yeah, it got cut down severely, but I mean, that 52. Yeah, well, you know, in the end, you, you realize a lot of things when you, you, you've you actually got a ping gig versus, you know, sitting in your, in your house doing it for yourself at your own pace. So, yeah. So that was our humble beginnings. We had our, our first book, The March, Crossing Bridges in America. Um, uh, which was out on Amazon, and we sold it at our first con, uh, Wizard World Chicago 2008. That uh, was the first time we were on the other side of the table, which was a completely new experience for us, but I'm pretty sure it, it kind of got us all hooked, and after that we decided that we really loved doing, making the books, but we really wanted to make our own stuff. So, so it's pretty much uh, Destiny from the, the first time you guys met then, huh? You, you one would say, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> would you say with, because uh, you said it um, took a, lot, a little while with the, the first book, The March, would you say that the more time benefited that book, or do you think it would have been better with less time? Uh, that's, that's, that's a tough call. Would it have been better with more time? Um, with The March? Yeah. I think, I think it's a matter of we. It, it was as good as it was going to get. I, I think looking back on it, we had a very realistic timetable on a lot of things but because we were you know young and dumb and it's the first project and we completely overestimated ourselves and underestimated the project so you know if I had to do it all over again I'd say if we had to do it all over again I think there's certain things I think we would have done a lot faster taking reference photos getting stuff cranked out a lot faster because I know personally for me having to draw a lot of those crowd scenes it was just like I I didn't realize how involved it was to not only draw, you know, 10, 20 people at panel or, uh, you know, per page or something of that nature, but on top of that with backgrounds that look accurate, just kind of really 
loaded me up personally. And that was the first book where I, you know, at this point I was a graphic designer uh, professionally, and I said, oh, I, I can color a comic book, no problem. Yeah, I can knock that stuff out in a couple of nights. And, and then you realize on that first page for like a week, or at least. And, and at the end of it, I mean, story-wise, well, I mean, we started out with a, like, 96-page uh, story, but even when we cut it down, we looked at what scenes and we adjusted stuff and worked with the publisher, and ultimately we were happy with what this project was. We felt like we pulled the story the way it should have been told. Yeah, I mean, I think from a story point of view, we were happy, and uh, I mean, artistically, I think all artists kind of feel like you look at old work and all you really see is the stuff you could have done better. And for us, every time, pretty much every panel. I mean, do you think that that it was a little bit easier to push through once you know you, you know you guys knew you were getting uh, paid some money, and you're, is that more of a motivation, or is that sometimes kind of a oh no, we have to get this book done, or else we're not getting paid? Well, yeah, I mean, it was definitely finish the book, get it paid, and get it done. Because um, I mean, we were at that point the driving force for us was really to to have a, a book on the shelf with our name on it you know, and our pictures and everything. And, and I mean, the, the deal that was presented to us from the publisher, you you know, it, it was a dream deal, really. I mean, you're talking about somebody who wants to come to you, you do a book and they turn around and then they're gonna do the marketing. So you don't have to, you just gotta crank out the book and then they sweeten the pot and tell you that it's gonna be distributed nationally, yeah. you know, in borders across the U.S. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a better thing, but I mean, I, I don't think the full weight of that really sank in until, you know, after we, I don't know, the second book that we did on our own of uh, Disposable Razor is like, wow, it'd be really nice to have that national distribution <laughs> Probably. I mean, I think overall for us, uh, it, it was the first project and you have to learn very quickly that it, it transitioned for us from a hobby to a profession because now you got to do something. You have to, you have to have a deadline, and it's really helped us uh, put out our own material. Because when you have an internal deadline, when you have a convention, you have to be at with books in hand. Otherwise, you look like a schmuck, and you just wasted four hundred bucks for a table. You got to get it done. It was a, I think our first con to to move books. You know, we would tell people like, hey, buy the book. You know, you get this certain package, and we'll take your picture and we'll put you in our next book as an incentive and that worked great and a lot of, we were telling people we we're going to do a zombie story next and you know a lot of people were all on board for that so I've got you know you know hell with you know a couple well not a hundred but I would say about 60 plus pictures of, of people that have bought the book that I've got to make a zombie and we just didn't put it out you know by the next con and we had a couple of people come up to us and say, you know, it's like, oh, you guys said you would put out the zombie store. Do you have it? You'd be like, no. And they'd be like, yeah, whatever. You just told us a yarn to sell a book, and we felt like asses because we're just like, no, seriously, we're working on it. It's just, yeah, it's going to be in the trade. It's, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, we, you know, you learn that hard lesson, like, you really have to deliver because otherwise you, and now you're going to find those people again, Matt, right here down the store. <laughs> well, they are. It's just, we've been taking longer to get there. Thanks. Hey, good <laughs> thing. Fuck it. 11 o'clock in the morning. Hey, good things come to those who wait. That's that's what I tell them. <laughs> um, well, it's good. I mean, so so speaking of putting, um, um, you know, uh, pictures and, and of, of zombies in the book and and and, and whatnot. Um, who would you guys say, you know, um, are some of your influences with the writing 
and uh, the art that you put out. Well, I mean, that's an easy question for me because I've been asked that before. I mean, a lot of my stories, I I grew up, well, my dad was a huge science fiction and fantasy freak growing up. He's got a huge collection of, like, Heinlein and all these amazing novels in his basement. But I grew up watching, like, Twilight Zone and Outer Limits uh, reruns with my dad and my brother growing up. So I'm huge Rod Serling and all of those stories are huge influences on me, and they are. And your, your dad's basement really was like a tinderbox waiting to go because he had so many paperbacks in that basement. Yeah, yeah, he did. But it's that. I love science fiction stories. I mean, some of the stuff that I do now, I, I, I don't know. I guess I get influenced a lot by like Warren Ellis. He's one of my favorite writers now. I'd say he's had the influence on me for writing wise, anyway. Uh, okay, well, I mean, I guess. Artistically, it's odd. I mean, there are the um, the artists. I think my work, uh, I, I wish in, in my head looked more like like uh, Frank Miller. Um, I, I mean, I really love his simplicity and, and guys like that. Uh, Mike Mignola, I'm a huge fan. But really, what drew me into comic books initially was Alex Ross. Um, being able to see someone do photorealism uh, in a comic book was something completely mind blowing to me. I mean, in terms of my style, I don't even know who I would say an influence. It's just something that naturally progressed out of everything else that I've read. Uh, I've always said that I thought Matt's artwork looked like Brent Anderson uh, from uh, Astro City, um, kind of somewhere between there. And um, actually, you know, a couple times now, uh, people who reviewed our stuff compared you to uh, Doug uh, Greatpoint. Oh, that's probably because of the inking I've been doing as of late. Uh, I think starting out when I got into comics, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, it's ironic because I've known Jason out of all of us the longest technically because I met Jason on the job, uh, and uh, you know, he and I share a love of of '90s stuff. I mean, I know you love uh, Todd McFarlane to the nth degree. <laughs> 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 you know, and I have to be honest, you know, when I got into comics, you know, it was the flashy artwork, it was the McFarlane, the, the Lees, the, the, the Liefelds, and, the, and those guys, and then, you know... You, Uh-oh, you said the L word. <laughs> you know, you learn after a while. I mean, I, in high school, I got into Alex Ross a lot. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of guys, uh, John Romita Jr., I'm a big fan of his artwork, uh... I saw a lot of it in high school a little bit, uh, you know, I discovered girls. Uh, got back into it <laughs> later on in the college. Uh, Frank Miller, uh, his density work is fantastic. Uh, Mike Mignola, huge influence, love the way he uses blacks. I mean, just beautiful. Um, you know, Ross is the influence, but he's kind of fallen to the wayside. You get older as an artist, you kind of pick out some of the flaws that you can see. Um, Doug Bray's wife, he is a... He's a fantastic artist. Very nice guy, too. Met him at a comic shop one time. Um, Jeff Darrow. Jeff Darrow. Jeff Darrow's an awesome guy, too. He was, he's, at, he's actually at the uh, the end of our row at C2E2, and I actually talked to him for a little while, and uh, he let me uh, get a free print, and I gave him a copy of our latest book, and he actually said it was it looked pretty cool. So, yeah, pretty fun. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a myriad of influences, but, I mean, it's, in the end, you know, you got to find your own voice. So, so if it was top three, I would say it would be uh, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie, and uh, <laughs> hey, 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 Ziggy Stardust is the shit. Yeah. 
With, with little with a little twist the Bon Jovi there at the end. Yeah, you broke up on that one. What was it? With a little twist the Bon Jovi at the end. It's alright. It's a bad joke. So. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, you know, as I understand it, you guys get together once a week uh, for a work night. Uh, can you talk the audience through maybe like a typical uh, work night? Kind of. Well, see, uh, typically, uh, Kyle will text me at about four o'clock to ask me which house it's at. Hey, it does rotate. He says, "Okay, so we're All right, yeah. Yeah. So then, um, you know, between Matt and I, just depending on on what. Uh, what we're doing that week. I mean, sometimes we were kind of held to work at Matt's house because of certain things that he was doing, like if he was inking or something like that, where he needed a setup because he had an art table at his house. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm strictly digital. So uh, a lot of stuff we've done, uh, we've had to do at my house because I've got my whole setup here. Um, though, you know, I've been able to work for Matt's house as well um, from his computer. And uh, Kyle just brings uh, his Mac Mini with him. Um, and just writes draft from there. Uh, generally, the night starts about seven thirty, eight o'clock, roughly about that time. Yeah. And we sit and bullshit for like 15, 20 minutes. We draw for about twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then we just uh, you know we're old friends, so it, it's kind of hard. Like you, you get into a groove, you start working, and there'll be a couple bouts of maybe forty-five minutes to an hour where it's just head down working, and then something will break the silence. It's, hey, did you see that thing? And then, you know, you know, an hour later, there are YouTube clips up and, and Ron Swanson and Hulu clips and farting. And, yeah, there's a lot of farting. But then as we get closer and closer to the deadline, um, we duct tape Kyle's mouth shut and we turn off the music. <laughs> and his well, head head look, we go to YouTube. art monkeys back. say that that as the more fans you gain are, are you guys still able to keep a level head and and still kind of to, to stay in it as as it was or has has it changed anything the dynamic at all 
I would say we are as humble as possible because at the end of the day, it's still three guys with day jobs making comics in their basement on nights and weekends, hoping to God we sell two, three hundred copies at a time. Oh, yeah. Conventions, I'll be doing convention sketches, and I'll look around to other guys. I mean, even if they're not professional, you know, and I'll look at what they charge. And, you know, more than once, Mark or Kyle or even my wife has been like, you know, maybe you should charge more. I mean, you're doing the same stuff they're doing, but you're throwing in color. But I, I don't know if it's cast of skills or just some inane sense of, like, I've been on the other side of the table, so it's like I see their prices and I see what those guys put on a sketch and it's like I can't do that I, I feel bad so yeah I mean we are still very much palpitators and we know that but we're trying very hard with each passing con that we go to to get better to make more friends and connections and uh, to uh, eventually uh, bang and plead with all of those connections to help us uh, speaking of obviously uh, we, we will be uh, doing that here very soon well, you know, to, to go back a little bit uh, to the Skype um, sessions that you're doing, I know that uh, not too long ago you had there there was there was something happened where some pictures got leaked up online of, of what you were doing. Is is that? I mean, what are you guys doing to kind of prevent that now from going forward? Because I'm assuming that you you know you want to get politely ask them not to. And the people skyping with me were so excited that they took a screen capture. They didn't post it anywhere, they kind of emailed it to a couple of their friends. And I mean, it doesn't even bother me, fine, it's the comic, and frankly, you know, we could share half the book and with people would hopefully still want to buy it. But yeah, we've been a little guarded about that. Uh, you know, as I've been asking people if they're on Skype, not to take screen captures, just to watch it live and enjoy it, and then of course eventually buy the finished product. Yeah, I think the, the worst I've been doing is a uh, on Facebook, if you're friended me, you've been noticing my profile picture's been uh, a painted monkey, and it's literally, you know, that's, that's one of our main characters that I've just been taking photos of on my phone of just that single panel because I, I like it, and it's like, that's as much of a teaser as I want to put up personally on my app, so. And I've been, we, we've got the, the Samaranoff's Facebook page, and uh, which has exploded. It has. I mean, once once or twice a week, uh, I just kind of throw a bone up to the fans and just take a panel or something and rework it into an avatar, and we send it up there. So. And, and for, just to give reference, when we say exploded, we mean like all fans. We've got 51 fans on Samaranoff, but uh, Unshamed Comics is going strong at 210. Wait, 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 we have a quarter of the fans practically already at the Samaranoff? Yes. Versus our own website? Yes. Yeah, wow. you, you, what you should do is you should go to and, and put the uh, next to the twelve fans, but twelve fans and growing. <laughs> kind of like make well, we, we've learned our lesson. Um, we now know that in order to get fans, you have to promise shit. So uh, that our Facebook fans, uh, we we were basically like one hundred eighty for the longest time, and then I realized because I'm a marketing manager, I'm like, wait a second, I do this for a day job. I should know what I'm doing. So like. What what made us get fans uh, for my day job? Oh yeah, promising them free crap. So I just put there, hey, uh, whoever gets us the most fans will win a custom sketch card and an avatar, and Kyle will write them a greeting card. Boom, two hundred and ten. Which by the way, Kyle, you owe a man a greeting card. Yeah, yeah. Just- See that that that's our that was our ploy here at the Amazingly Pulp Show is uh, we have zero fans, so we were trying to we get. Got, our- we've got three. <laughs> We were trying to rope them in. We're like, hey, we're having Unshaven Comics online uh, 
this Sunday, so now we know our fan base is going to grow. So, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I, we, well, you know, you don't have zero fans. I mean, I listen to your stuff, man. Same here. It's always a good times to, to listen to you and, uh, and Jazzy talking about something. The Jazzy shows up on time, we're usually good, but when he doesn't show up, it's me running solo, so. <laughs> well, now you guys will have the Unshaving Comics bump, so enjoy those four extra fans. <laughs> exactly. We're watching the chart rise right now. Well, hey guys, I kind of want to jump into a little bit of the process of, uh, when it comes to writing uh, and, and drawing, um, what do you guys do to prepare, or how do you go about getting in, getting a story started or the art started, and knowing when it's complete? Because I know, you know, as, as an artist myself, I I never feel like what I have done is complete. So, what what, what is kind of your guys' process to sit there and say, this is how we're starting it, and we're letting it go now? Well, it usually involves a, a, a pie, a, a strip to Baker Square, uh, usually a lot of farting around, and then we have to realize we have to write something. That's, there's, some, there's some truth in that. It's true. The, the collaboration work between the three of us usually involves all of us like going. We we got out to Baker Square and just sat down and had pie and coffee or a drink and just sat down and talked about something plans out because I mean at that point we're not at our houses. No one's got an internet connection. No one's pulling up YouTube or on Facebook. We're sitting down working. We're taking notes on a legal pad. I mean that. Our latest story, that's how the standard not literally was involved with a big legal pad of paper sitting down over pie and drinks and just hashing it out for like three hours. Yeah, when we when we started Disposable Razors uh, in 2008, it was literally on the precipice of saying we wanted to do an anthology series where each, instead of just doing like five or six page stories and just cramming them in one book, which uh, I think for all of us have, have shown that there are some anthologies that are fantastic, but the, for the most part, most fans really feel when they get those books, it's like, oh, okay, this story was good, that story wasn't so great. The art changes in every one of them, the writing's not consistent. So we said, what if we did an anthology where the issue itself is just a single one-shot, then there's just something to tie them together, and that's what the anthology is about. It's really one complete story each issue, and um, we decided... Uh, we would just pick the genres that we loved the most and just kind of bang it out. I think for us, really, that's that's the catalyst. Once you put something on paper and said, okay, we're going to do issue one, Kyle, it's yours. And, you know, he had a story in his back pocket and said, okay, I've got this story I've been working on for a while. Yeah, well, right. I think that goes back to, you know, how we set that up was we all have, we're, we're fans of multiple genres, so that was like, you know, like we had so many stories we want to tell, but it's just like, how do you, you know, do we distill it down to don't find consistently every single time try and, you know, a horror inside of a Western or a sci-fi inside inside of a romance or something of that nature, or do you want to do, or do we want to do just straight-up stories? And that's, yeah, I think we all, all three of us have diverse tastes, and I mean, we're kind of democratic, I guess, about what we present to fans, because um, certainly uh, I read almost exclusively just superhero books. I, I very rarely get out of that genre that Kyle somehow has ended up writing a lot more horror and suspense yeah, stuff, which I never suspected and didn't plan on but yeah I've written like between zombie stories uh, demons chasing people cross country uh, Cthulhu inspired stories I have cranked out a surprising amount of horror stuff that we published to have sort of sitting in the back burner for someday to be determined and, and Matt 
um, it's all across the board. Um, <laughs> giant robots, sci-fi, dimensional travel. Well, it's usually been sci-fi stuff, but I mean, I, I think I surprised myself and reaching down and grabbing my inner uh, Kirby and, and Ditko for like some of my stuff. So, yeah, and just uh, just a storm of uh, superhero in there. You, you use big words. Why you gotta use big words? I mean, I mean, Matt likes it. One of the guys with the big muscular pecs by another guy with muscular pecs. Oh, no dumb, no, no, no smart words. Uh, the amazing pulp show does only understands the little ones, so dumb it down as much as possible. <laughs> um, well, you know, that's, that, uh, speaking of all the, the, the different um, kind of story ideas you guys had coming in there, or, or um, you know, with the robots and the superheroes and whatnot, do you guys, with the three of you, ever kind of ever run into an issue where you're just like, you know, hey, look, that's not going to work. We're not going to put it in the book, or is it kind of, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll put it up there and, and, and see what happens? All the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's truly democratic in the process when we write these things. I mean, I think with the first two chapters, Disposable Razors, it was really Kyle's baby, then my baby. And we were pretty dead set against these things. We start putting stuff to paper for the discussion that come. Um, I think well, a great example is in issue one, uh, where Kyle's um, demon guy, Mal, is um, in the forest. He, he's preying on these, these four friends, and Matt and I were insistent that at some point the demons show up in the car with his arms around them, smiling, saying, let's get waffles. That was going to kind of break the whole horror vibe that I was in fact going with my horror story. Can you still hear the tension and bitterness? No, <laughs> uh, no. And I'll admit, Comedic moments, and that's, I just want comedic moments, it's the, the whole bathroom joke, the, the breaking shirt pees a lot, did kind of come out of that, there's some, there's some humorous tension that breaks the moments, but, uh, yeah, it's, everyone gets notes, and I'll admit, I throw chairs when anyone gives me a critique or note on what I should do to change my story. You should hear the, the fracas when we had to tell Kyle that we added a page to his monkey story for Disposal Razors 3. Uh, it, it was how well, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's a constantly changing in some respects. I mean, you know, you guys, I know you'll write the story, and then there's stuff where it's like, I'll come back, and, you know, sometimes I have to correct you guys and be like, like I know what you're trying to go for in this page. Eight pounds of shit in a 10-pound bag, and it's not going to work because you got polluted. So, you know, sometimes I have to come in there and, and tell them, like, maybe if we can reimagine this or stretch this, which... You know, I'm not saying I correct you guys, but I mean, it's nice to see you guys take those suggestions and come back and actually give you something better to put on the page, which actually works in the, in the greater scheme of the story. Yeah, so. Well, it's how we work best, is that, I mean, I think above other creators that maybe sit in a bubble, essentially isolated wherever they are geographically, and just transmitting things via email or phone conversations, and they have an editor to deal with. You know, we're three best friends that know how to shoot the shit with each other. So when, you know, there's an idea that comes up, you know, we're comfortable to say, hey, Kyle, I don't like that idea. Or, Mark, you know, that doesn't work on the page. you got to fix it. You know, and, and I hopefully that's what stands out in our books is that, you know, there's a, a wealth of good ideas there. I think that's, you make a fair point. That's probably our greatest strength is the fact that, you know, a lot of comic artists, uh, you know, They'll be by themselves, or comic writers, they're by themselves, so they've got nobody to bounce 
stuff off of at, but on a daily basis whereas the three of us yeah, turn, all we gotta do is like turn around on a work night and say like what do you guys think of this idea and what sounds good to you in your head you know it's nice to have two other people there to tell you you know if it's shit right or if it's actually gonna you know like, that's good but maybe you should tweak it this way because you know you're so tunnel visioned on one thing you didn't think of the other possibilities of it you know that's happened a couple of times where uh, we've thought of something turned around and said what do you think of this idea you know we're friends long enough to be brutally honest and say that's the dumbest idea you've had since blank so <laughs> yeah so I can speak to that because I think that um, a lot of times I'll get done with the, 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 the show and I'm like what do, you, what do you think about that Jazzy was that shit and Jazzy just thinks everything's great so uh, never, I never get an honest opinion no I, I'm just polite and don't say it's all shit <laughs> Well, okay. Well, let's tr- let's jump into um, uh, Disposable Razors Three with the upcoming uh, Chicago Wizard Con. As I understand it, you guys will be dropping that, uh, releasing the much anticipated Samurnauts. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about them, or give us a little tease of what we might find in uh, August? Absolutely. Uh, Disposable Razors Three, uh, Hello High Water is coming out at the Wizard uh, Chicago Con. That's August. Uh, I want to say eighteenth. It's going to be a personal hell for you and me. It's going to be a personal hell for the next three weeks. But uh, Disposal Razors 3 uh, concludes the first, uh, let's say, chapter, if you will, of the series. Volume 1. Yeah, Volume 1 with the white. uh, And this will actually see, essentially, um, the main character kind of takes a break from the head trip, so to speak. And he brings up this idea of this show that he used to watch as a kid and he loves it and he wants to see the original OVA and he's like, I gotta watch it again. And uh, that's what the Samurnauts is. Um, in essence, when we came up with the idea, it was all our favorite shit from the, from the 80s, basically just thrown into the blender. Yeah, it's, it's our tribute to Voltron and Power Rangers and Shaman. Yeah. It's, it's all of those stories. Yeah, the Samurai itself is the two parts. It's told in two parts. The first part was uh, painted by Matt, and it follows the origin of Al, the immortal space monkey. Uh, and then um, <laughs> I take over on the other half. This is my first time doing interiors, uh, and I'm telling the other half, which is a uh, future tale of the most current Samurai, a ragtag bunch of teenagers with attitude. Uh, who have to face off against uh, murder, I'm sorry, Stranglesaurus and Bashasaurus. Yeah, it's it's probably of of the three disposable razors, probably the most kid-friendly in some some respects. Yeah, it's actually an adventure story. And you really see, like, it's past and future telling of this same team, or at least a different teams under the guidance of the same leader. Yeah, this is in essence the quote lost episode where they actually explain all of the origin stuff. Yeah, and I'd say out of like the three issues we've done, uh, you know, Disposable Razors number one was very much uh, uh, Kyle's baby like we said before with his story. Number two was mostly Mark's baby. Uh, I had some input with the character uh, origins in number two, but number three has really been the the most true collaboration we've had equally across the board on on story-wise and honestly it's the one that you know a lot of stuff just kind of fell into place very 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 easily for this I mean we did our research but I mean it was stuff that was just like holy crap this 
you know, A lines up with B, you know, to make, you know, our story that much better. And we didn't have to really do anything. So it was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. And that will debut again at the Wizard World Chicago Con on the 18th. Uh, we're going at the uh, Chicago Artist Bazaar. Yeah, that Artist Alley. Uh, people can obviously find us under the giant Unshaven Comics banner. And uh, we will actually have show specials there. Uh, we'll have all three issues of Disposable Razors on sale. Uh, for those who are picking up just issue three, it's always uh, going to be the same five bucks. Uh, if you get two issues, we'll probably throw in a little sticker or something. And if you get all three, you get a value-added bonus. Matt will take off his pants. See, they're still selling rewards. Stickers or posters or something cool for people who get uh, the, the trifecta, if you will. Maybe Kyle and the jig. So you we'll you had me at take off the pants. Uh, Only one for you, J. <laughs> <laughs> um, now with this issue, you guys kind of spoke to um, you know with with Mark doing full on sequentials, and in addition, they'll be digital. You also have Matt, who's using a different style that we've seen uh, with the gouache. Um, is this a style that you guys foresee you know using in future disposable razors? And you know what 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 was kind of the idea and the choice behind going digital and going gouache? These two new styles that we haven't seen in the past with the books. Uh, that was actually a, a stance of put up or shut up on both of our parts. Yeah, uh, it was just pretty much after we came up with the whole the whole plot, the whole story. It just I, I was like, oh, I'd love to paint the the origin story. It'll lend to that whole old timey classic feel of the time period. And yeah, it's like 1590 when the first the earliest right. takes place. So it definitely helps bring that sort of feel of what you're what you've got. And then Mark was, you know, uh, you know, ironically enough, Mark actually for the first book was supposed to do Kyle's story in all you know, all digital artwork and you know, he was saying for a long time, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it and then uh, actually I think what the one of our preview books here actually did the one page teaser for it. I did well no, here's the thing. I said I was gonna do that first book and I, I told myself, Oh, this is no problem, I, I've got my digital stuff down, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and I started off and I tried making that first page of Kyle's story and it killed me. It took like a month. I got that one page done and I was, I, I realized right then and there, I'm like, I can't, I can't handle interiors. And I kind of threw my hands up in the air and told Matt, you got to do it. I, I'm just going to do colors and I can handle covers. And, uh, you know, when it came around for this book three, you know, Matt essentially in one conversation just looked at me like, dude, put up or shut up. You know, you do some sequentials, do the artwork. You, you've got the, you, you got your setup here, figure it out. Yeah, and I mean, you know, as much as people like to, to compliment me on my artwork, whenever Mark put something up on the site or anything of that nature, you know, or just seeing him work on uh, freelance projects, people go crazy, ape shit for his stuff. And, and it was, <laughs> and I was just like, come on, man. You know, people gave you a lot of compliments on that one page teaser you did, but then you kind of just, you know, you were like, I'm not doing this. Here, man, you take over. So, yeah, exactly. So now I'm, now I'm picking it up and, and telling them for this issue. And I was like, you got to do the second half. You know, you, you know, your style would fit nicely and everything else. And it kind of gives me a nice break from the art duties, and I can help Mark out on the back end for for coloring and stuff like that, and there's not all this pressure and bottlenecked on certain things. Yeah, I mean, it was something for me, too, where I just had to come to the realization that every artist is different. Uh, Matt has the God-given talent to draw from his head, 
and I realized that I don't have that, and that's okay. You know, I went to school for art the same as Matt did, but I learned to really just draw from reference, and that's how I need to work. So, specific to my issue three, um, what I've pretty much figured is, like, I need to have models. So, I was very lucky to uh, hook up with a great comedy sketch group, Big Dog Eat Child, and all of them are a bunch of crazy jackasses who uh, can really, uh, you know, game for the camera. And I told them, hey, here's an opportunity. I need you guys to be models and be superheroes. And they ran at the chance, and thank God they did. And uh, most of that Samurai's fan page on Facebook is actually the work of them. I mean, they, all that, they eat it up like a fat kid eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since that, so this will be uh, my artistic debut. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting getting to that point where I've, I've finished all my inking, and now I'm just coloring my own stuff, and it's, it is a little odd. So I'm like, I've got the first panel here, and I'm just looking at it, and it's kind of surreal. So I'm like, I drew that. I drew it all. I did it all by myself <laughs> with every single digital trick in the book. <laughs> well, so, so Matt, do you feel like uh, this frees up some time with your art duties now that Mark has thrown his artistic hat in the circle? It does. It does on some level. It's nice to know that you know if if I'm you know, behind on something or Mark's got to throw his, his hat in the arena that he can step up and, and, you know, hit the ball out of the park on that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that this means from here on out the rest of our books will probably have split our duties. Either split our duties or at least the, at least the knowledge of knowing that, you know, if like I'm behind on something. It's just like, or uh, a prime example is going to be a, a, a very good, I should say a very good blending will be the last page of the current story Mark actually did me a favor and he he laid it out and then he left me open a big panel and he's like I need you to draw a giant robot in there because you know I can't draw giant robots for shit and you have a discussion with them borderlining uh, you know we should check you into a hospital kind of thing so uh, knowing where to place for place, place strength exactly so <laughs> I was actually able to, to print it out on 11 by 17 paper at work draw it to scale scan it and give it to him and it looks really, I mean, I, I'm proud of it, actually. It's kind of fun. It's, in a weird way, it's kind of nice to have that blending of, like, even though he's doing it all digital, I can print it out and actually draw on it. So there's actually an original piece to go with digital artwork, which seems to be a lot of people's complaint on, on digital. You know, it's like there's, uh, there's that loss of uh, the, uh, the original artwork market. Uh, you know, some people like to own you know, original pages of stuff. Uh, I've got a couple. Mark's got a couple. Kyle even has a, an, a, an ultimate Spider-Man cover that he wanted a bit. So, I mean, he's got genuine comic book artwork. I mean, we each do on some level. So, it's, it's expensive, but it's, it's, it's a niche, and it's kind of fun to have. So, if somebody actually wanted this last page, you know, theoretically, we could actually sell it. Yeah, so... Well, I guess, in, in, and that kind of brings up the, the, the big question that everyone, I, I think, listening to Unshaven Comics or, you know, or reading Unshaven Comics wants to know is this, gentlemen. Will we be seeing some Kyle Nepper sequentials in the future? Absolutely not. Never. Never, <laughs> never, never, never. Uh, the, the only time at a free comic once, because a longtime friend and fan of our stuff, specifically asked me to is that he would not buy our book otherwise he drew a picture I drew him a picture of a cloud that kind of looked like a donkey (laughs) 
That is the only piece of artwork, and Brian Sokol has it. There will never, ever be another one. Shout out to Brian Sokol, you know, friends of Unshaver Comics, for owning the single lone piece of Skylight Work artwork. Uh, now, yeah, Kyle uh, is definitely the writer, writer here. So we're a living Venn diagram. Uh, Kyle is all writer, Matt is all art and plot and structure, and then I kind of dabble in between, like the crazy polyamorous man I am. <laughs> it's a very interesting structure, that's for sure. I love you, Kat. Well, this year, this year, <laughs> this year, you guys have really expanded your territory as far as conventions uh, that you can be found at. Um, I know uh, one of your podcasts. You spoke to you know selling two hundred books in. Um, I don't know if it was one day or the three days altogether, but I believe it was the one day. But uh, selling two books altogether, uh, I mean, so would you say that by joining at these, being at these conventions, you guys are really moving ground with it? They're really expanding? Each convention we go to, we sell more books than the last. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like this most recently, we went to Summit City Comic Convention, which was only a single day, but, I mean, we blew away our expectations for what we would do there. But I mean, the last few years, we've done Wizard World, and when C2E2 started up, we've done that as well. And with each new book we've done, when we have a, a three-day convention, where either one of those two, our numbers have consistently gone up. We have sold more books at almost every convention we've gone. And a lot of that is actually uh, in part, and thanks to Kyle himself, because he's a one-man wrecking machine. It really is. I mean, you know, if, you know, if you go to comic conventions and you walk through artist alleys, I mean, you'll you'll see guys talking to other artists, and you'll see people, fans talking to artists. But for the most part, you know, in lulls, you'll just see guys sitting behind tables with their heads down, either drawing or just kind of, you know, not really paying attention. Kyle, you know, I've yet to see somebody mimic it, but I mean, Kyle actually stands up and you know pitches to people as they walk in the aisle, and they and he tells, he invites them in to look at it. And that's such a big shock and cultural change for a lot of people who go to artist alleys on a regular basis. I mean, they're used to people, like, ignoring them, and then you have somebody on the other side of the table actually inviting them in to, to read the comic book, and half the time, that's what sells it, you know, that and he just pretty much verbally beats them down until they can't take it home. That's only a half-truth. There's, there's no greater <laughs> feeling, in my opinion, than going to the con and watching Kyle just pitch someone into submission. But so like what he doesn't see is he doesn't make eye contact. He's kind of like a lion eating a gazelle. He's not quite um, mentally there. He's just going through the pitch. And Matt and I can watch as their eyes glaze over, and we can tell the point at which they've submitted. They're just like, yeah, okay. We've actually had fans stop him and pitch like, here's my dollars, give me the book. <laughs> <laughs> so you definitely learn with each con as well how to become quote unquote customer proof. Um, you know, with the first con with uh, the March, you know, it was definitely a book where we knew that. It's not for everyone. It's, it's entertainment, so to speak. So with disposable razors, with each successive issue, the pitch gets shorter, funnier, quicker to sell people on to the point where, you know, the first one will be like, oh, it's a thriller horror story about these four friends, and there's this demon, and blah, 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 blah. The second one was a little short. It's a superhero smash them up. It's a guy from World War Two, And this one's just going to be samurai astronauts led by an immortal space monkey fighting demon dinosaurs by it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know... It's really, really progressed nicely, and uh, I'd say a good benchmark progressively through each con has been, we can tell it's been a good day by how much uh, throat spray Kyle has to use at the end of the night. 
Yeah, the, one of the lessons I've learned is I, I mean, I, I have a sales job for my day job. I talk to people all day, every single day, and right, the convention is a little harder because as soon as I finish with one person where they buy the book and leave, I'm talking to the next person. And which I which we we he's gotten better on because there were times where it's just like as soon as the sales made, he shuffles them down the line to the rest of us. We have to pick up pieces because Kyle's already attacked the next customers per se, and we've kind of had to apologize every once in a while. But he's gotten a lot better at that. So. Yeah, but I mean, you look at three days in a a weekend or even just one day where it's average convention is like six to eight hours long, and I am standing talking almost the entire time. I I usually go through a bottle of chloroseptic and a, a thing of cough drops every every single convention. Would, would you say it's the kind of uh, Goonies never say die approach? Yeah. Carnival <laughs> Barker style. Eventually at some point we're going to just get my, a hat, a cane, and a bow tie. So, everybody, 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 right up. It comes down to us. I mean, it's the perfect place for that sort of thing. It is a comic book convention. People have paid to be there because they are fans. So, obviously, they have an interest in comic books. And when you just stand there and talk to them and give them the quick, here is in 15 seconds what our book is about. Does this interest you? Yes or no. Can you pay for it right now? Yes or no. I hate to break it down, but that's basically the discussion that right. But I, mean, like, but I mean, I think that's pretty much our that our edge of conventions. I mean, you know, we we've, we've made light enemies of the people who sit next to us. Only uh, one, specifically Kyle, because you know Kyle goes all day. So you know, our neighbors at the con kind of have to listen to him all day. But at the same time, we've had uh, you know legitimate working professionals, Brian Polito, and a couple other guys. You know, an artist alley that have been in the business for a long time actually come up to us and compliment us on the fact that we are actively engaging our fans versus just sitting there going like, I hope somebody comes and buys their book. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we did that sell Boom one year. Yeah, that was awesome, awesome man. That, that's like a feather in our cap. So. <laughs> we beat Boom Studios at the 2010 C2E2 convention. You sold more books than they did, and I'm still happy about that. I love Boom, but I'm still happy about that. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say that these other tables are probably doing a disservice to themselves if they're not doing that approach. You know, a, a lot of them. I mean, you look at the average artist. I mean, no offense to the two of you guys, but a lot of them are uh, uh, introverts. Yeah, I and mean, it's just not the outgoing personality or the interest to talk to a complete and total stranger to invite them over and say, "Hey, have you heard of me? This is my stuff. Don't you want one?" Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't help that we as artists, you know, it's like. It, I don't know about you, Jahat, but I mean, it, it's kind of hard to talk and look at somebody in the face and have to draw them their sketch at the same time without looking at the sketch. So, you know, a lot of the time when, you know, you see guys with their head down, you know, sketching, it's not that they don't want to talk to you. It's just, you know, they've got to concentrate and get it done. But, you know, it's, you know that's why we have Kyle at the con. That's why it kind of works as a, a three-man unit for us because Kyle sells them marks really good for marketing and social interactions and then if they want a pretty picture they come to me yeah i'm definitely in that boat i usually have to tell my wife uh hold on a second hold on a second hold on a second all right what what do you want <laughs> yeah i mean it's, you know you, you feel like an ass when you ask these people and then you know you think they're they're kind of rude when you walk by them because they're not looking at you or talking with you you know it's the human reaction so you know, to have somebody stand up and invite you in and tell you about their product, you know, 
you know, we, we've had plenty of turndowns, but I guarantee you they've walked away at least knowing that, you know, we didn't, you know, not look at it and be like, you know, it's like we're better than you kind of thing. It's just they weren't interested and they can walk away clean. Yeah, and it's not for them, it's not for them. I mean, honestly, I mean, we get a convention where we sell like 200 books in a weekend. I'd say we easily get just as many people that say, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd say that's a pretty good average. It's, it's the way in the business. It's, there's no hard feelings. It's, if the book isn't for you, I wouldn't want to buy a book if that was something I had absolutely no interest in. So... You, you let them move on, and you talk to the next person. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I think another thing to throw in there too that the the average you know walker through the aisle might not understand not being an artist is that you know especially if you're getting to day two or day three three I mean don't you already have like a list of commissions that you're trying to get done before the end of the end of the um, convention and you only have so much time. Oh yeah, I've had that. I've had a you know there's been plenty of times where. Actually, within the past couple of years, uh, usually on Saturday night, there's something called uh, BeerCon, as it's so aptly named, for Wizard World at the Hilton, where you get a lot of creators and a lot of, uh, you know, big wigs meeting at the bar. They drink the night away, and you can, you know, fans can go up and meet their their fan favorite creators, you know, one-on-one in a relaxed setting and things of that nature. And the past couple of years, you know, not because we don't want to stay there and mingle, it's just it's easier for us to go home because we live on the, the south side of uh, Chicago. So it's easier for us to go home and stay at home and save some money. Not only that, but you know, I'm here until, until one, two o'clock that morning trying to finish up commissions because you know, I feel like an ass if they come back the next day and I don't have it done ready for them. So I try and avoid that feeling as much as possible. Yeah. Well, hey, you guys' podcast, Unshaven uh, Rants, can be found on unshavencomicsonline.com. Uh, it's a huge influence on the Amazingly Pulp show. In fact, it probably would be no, no Amazingly Pulp show if it wasn't for Unshaven uh, Rants. Uh, but you guys are going strong at 19 podcasts. Uh, do you have a golden number in mind for a goal to reach, or are you just going to keep on trucking as long as Unshaven Comics are going? As long as it's going, we're going. Yeah, uh, until, you know... We're too famous to have time to do it anymore, or uh, uh, at least two of us die. That's that's how long. Uh, yeah, I, guess we'll go. I, I don't think we've got any golden number in mind. I mean, I think we'll we'll take the the stereotypical comic book route and we'll acknowledge like the big numbers, like number twenty five, number fifty, seventy five hundred, that kind of thing. But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually right there with you, man. I mean, I I listen to them just to fill time while I'm doing artwork, and I'm like, which one is this? Number 19? Holy crap, we did 19 of these things? In fact, we're, we're recording episode 20 shortly after this. Yeah, that's true. We're in the 20s. Jesus Christ. Yep. We're getting close to our age. Next podcast, we get to drink. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, in your cast, you guys never seem to kind of hold back your opinions about how you feel about the business. Do you ever feel that uh, that could come back to haunt you? No, and since we're on record here, I'd like to say Rob Liefeld can go fuck himself. Robert Kirkman, you're not as good as you think you are. Jeff Lowe, get over it. Your son died. I'm sorry for you, but you still suck. <laughs> yeah, want to go sit on like Mike Turner's grave or something while we're at it? Cool, I'll be right back. No, you gotta get past the fumes of your freaking room up there. Uh, boy, I hate to say it, but I mean, you know, it's a free country. It's America. I mean. It's a small business, you know, some part of us does fear that something will come back and bite us on our ass, but at the same time, it is our opinions. 
I mean, you can't really knock that. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, play, uh, I don't say play nice, but I, I'm not going to sit there and just be like, you know, it's like, I love everybody when that's not true. So why hide it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, if any of this ever comes back to bite us on our ass, then I owe everyone else a coke because, you know, a lot of coke. it is a lot of coke, but I, that's, I have faith that, you know, again, we're small potatoes, and even if someone, if eventually, forbid, someone went back to our podcast and said, wow, you guys did a podcast where you burned Michael Turner? But they look, again, it's our opinion. We're entitled. There are things I like. There are things I don't like. And uh, as a creator, as a fan, as a human being, I'm not going to hold back just because, uh, you know, I, I doubt that my opinion will ever stop DC from calling, you know. Yeah, and, they, and we usually put the caveat in there where it's, you know, we don't know these people personally, but based well, on your work. We're not doing it to be malicious. I mean, we're not just saying, I hate this person because I think he's ugly. It's, I have issues with this artist because I think his work is overrated. I think there's issues with this. It doesn't actually follow uh, the way that human body works, and it doesn't look like this person uh, went through these correct forms, or this person's stories make no sense. The plots go completely unresolved. There's stuff that seems to be completely random and isn't followed up on. It, most of our complaints, we follow with reason on, okay, it, it, this is why I don't like this. But if anyone is listening, I love absolutely everyone and am not associated with all the hate and dislike of my two partners, Mark and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't believe that, please go back to episode 17, Daredevil Reborn Review. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty hate-filled one. I mean, okay, yeah, I'll look at that. I, I mean, you know, we have a you know, we, we mingle with other artists. Uh, uh, you know, a pseudo friend of ours, Gene Ha, who's a, a fa- phenomenal DC artist. I mean, we had over for our work night one night, and uh, you know, we we kind of started ragging on, you know, just as a knee jerk reaction on uh, Rob Liefeld, and he's like, he's like, I know Rob Liefeld, he's a sweet guy, and you know, part of me was just like, it was a sudden realization. It was just like, you know, we don't know these guys personally. I'm sure they're nice people in real life, but. That's why we put the, the disclaimer in there. It's like, you know, it's like, I'm sure Rob Liefeld's a nice guy in real life, but I hate his artwork yeah. with a flaming passion. So it's nothing against you, Rob, personally. It's just, I just don't like your artwork, so. Yeah, well, I, I would definitely say don't apologize. And, and, and if anything, uh, to keep going, I... You know, I think that um, it, it, it's great for debate, uh, but more importantly, I think if, if the artists are hearing it, um, you know, whether they're good or bad, that's got to be some form of inspiration in, in some sort of way, you know what I mean? Sure, and since while we're sitting on people, uh, Scott McDaniel sucks, Ed McGinnis sucks, <laughs> Jeff Johns has passed his prime, and Adam Kubert's overrated. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if Jim Lee can keep up a book. I love his artwork, but he's notoriously slow. And uh, Dan DeDio couldn't write himself out of a paperback. All right. <laughs> I, think I, I think we got it all covered here. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in, in, into comics a little bit. Uh, you know, what are you guys' takes on the future of comics, uh, you know, with with pretty much the majority of it getting ready to switch over to the digital world? Uh, and do you think that you'll ever be doing disposable razors in a digital format? I think we after it's all printed and done and we're going to collect it into a trade, that we would consider selling digital copies, but we've been um, slow about that just because right now the only appeal to getting it is to getting it live in person from us. Uh, that being said, I think that with future projects, you know, we would be silly not to do something strictly digital or at least um, co-published 
print and digital because we would like to reach a larger audience. Well, I think that's the ongoing debate even in the big companies. It's, you know, how much is digital going to take over print, uh, you know, and what's the best use of it? Uh, or the best medium, like, or what's right. the best way to get it out there? That's kind of a question. None of us own none of us own iPads yet, so none of us get our comics digitally. So right, I mean, I think I could, I could, I could get to that point. I don't know if it'll feel real. So. I don't know. I, I could see, you know, us on like one level where it's like if we have a big story to tell, we'll put it in the print. But I mean, like if we've got like a little snippet of something that, uh, you know, it was only going to turn out to be like three pages anyway, and it's not enough for filler, but, you know, it's kind of fun. We want to put it out there. You know, that we might release digitally, you know, like little experimental stuff. But, you know, the, the bigger things, I think we'll still keep the print for the most part. So. Yeah. Well, do you guys um, see yourselves branching off into other titles under the main flag, or is Disposable Razors the mainstay book? We're, we're about to have a big discussion about that, actually, after our, we have finished. Yeah, our, our, our big plan right now is we're going to finish issue three of disposable razors. We're going to put that into a trade. And once we have the files done for disposable razors three, uh, once we are sending that to a printer to get printed for Wizard World, that's when the discussion about what our next step is going to be. So we've got a few options. We've got a few things we've talked about. After this is done is when we will decide for sure. Yeah. Um, well, the last question I have for you guys uh, before we go is when can we see the Unshaven Comics uh, reboot? The Unshaven Comics reboot will happen uh, in September. The entire universe will uh, reformat. Uh, Ironside will now be gay. Uh, in Kyle's <laughs> first story, Chasing Daylight, it will now be Chasing Moonlight, or I'm sorry, Chasing Twilight, in which Mal, the sparkly demon, uh, has to chase down four female suitors, and the Samurnauts will be redone as the Samurnauts. <laughs> <laughs> but younger, right? Oh, only new. So <laughs> the newer Samurnauts. <laughs> uh, each of their costumes will have 17.5 more lines on them, and their villains will be renamed the Demon Swords. Yes. Still <laughs> sounds like a PD. <laughs> Also, um, we should add that Rob Liefeld will be drawn in all of those books. Yeah, can he can he possibly take on any more books? Is the question. Sure, he can. I mean, all he has to do is draw giant packs, four-barreled guns, and no feet. <laughs> in the same angle. Well, hey guys, that's about all the time we have for you. But I'd like to thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you to Kyle, to Matt, to Mark for your time. Uh, you can find these guys online, unshavencomicsonline.com, and on Facebook at Unshaven Comics. Uh, did I miss anywhere else, guys? Unshavencomicsonline.com, that's it. Okay, and then when can we uh, see Disposable Razors number four? Uh, Disposable Razors number four, uh, we'll, we'll say maybe by 2035. 2035, don't quote us. Sounds like a good date. Well, guys, again, thank you very much, thank you very much. and I appreciate your time. It's our pleasure. Thank you. All right, take it easy. Well, that's about all the time we have today on Episode 7. We'd like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, go check out the boys at unshavencomicsonline.com. Uh, you can check out their books, uh, Disposable Razors 1, 2, and 3. They will be at the Wizard Convention. I think it's the 
14th through the 18th, maybe. It's whatever that week is close to there. Uh, Whatever week is close to there? Those ones in between. Or maybe the month. Uh, You'll you'll find Jazzy and I uh, roaming around. Uh, We like to hook up with the boys in Unshaven Comics Online. If you want to know where they're at, just come find us or listen to the show. We'll point you in that direction. Um, Until then, we will see you guys next time. Jazzy, you came in late. you have anything you want to add? Uh, Great interview. It was pretty good. Yeah, I, was good. I, I love the boys in Unshaving Comics Online. You guys got to check out their cast. It's called Unshaving Rants on uh, unshavingcomicsonline.com. We're out. be awesome if I had that set up right. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling. <laughs>